and welcome again to a novel evening. As always, I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as Novel Evening Podcast, and the same over on TikTok. Um, hello, welcome. Uh, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, this is the podcast where I chat with authors predominantly about their ideal fictional fantasy evening and that can look like anything they can invite anyone there's a lot of loopholes Uh, and for this episode I'm joined by Nina Millens whose book Goddesses oh my goodness firstly you're gonna see this all over socials you're gonna see it absolutely everywhere it's a divine cover I don't mean that to be a pun but there we go but it's also a really darkly humorous slightly irreverent but also very seriously emotional story about these women who gather for a hen unlike any other. Um, There is some really dark elements to the story, uh, lots of twists and turns. I don't want to give anything away um, but it's a a look at the Me Too movement, uh, kind of female empowerment. Um, I've never read anything quite like this book. I have so many questions for Nina about this story and I'm so, so excited to welcome her to share with me her novel evening. So a huge hello to Nina. Hello. Hi, Danny. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. Yes, I'm feeling a bit um, frazzled and feral today because I've been alone all day writing, eating out of the fridge and, you know, just wearing whatever I can find. So it's nice (laughs) to talk to another human. Oh, I love that. Did you manage to get outside in the sun at all today? Have you been inside all day? I did. I did go onto my balcony for a while, actually, and just get some vitamin D. So yeah, it's beautiful. So I had to get a little bit of sunshine. Oh my goodness. And when you're writing, do you find that you really kind of have to lock yourself down to do that with no distractions? Are you that kind of writer? I am. Yeah. I mean, I definitely need it to be quiet. That's for sure. I try not to be too precious about anything else though. So I try to just crack on as if it's a normal job and not, you know, feel like it has to be the right angle and temperature and, you know, ambient (laughs) and all of that, but it does need to be quiet. I have to just only be able to hear the voices in my head. (laughs) And with all your kind of writing ventures previous to your novel, has it always been that way? Have you always needed that kind of focus? Yeah, it really has. Like, I can't even play music because it distracts me. Um, Not even if it's instrumental. So, yeah, that's what I found. That's that's really the only, you know... yeah, the only really strict requirement that I have is that it be quiet when I write. <laughs> oh, bless you. Uh, first and foremost, goddesses, congratulations. It's an outstanding book. As I said to you, I read it in a day and I don't do that very often purely because children. <laughs> but with this, I was like, get out, be quiet, tablets. I'm going to I'm going to read this. It's so good. Thanks so much, Danny. And first and foremost, for anyone listening who maybe hasn't picked the book up or has not heard of it, perhaps give me a little rundown on Goddesses. Sure. So Goddesses is a story about Aisha and her best friend Yaz, who are both women of colour on the comedy circuit. And uh, one of Aisha's rants at a heckler goes viral and she gets co-opted into this group of um, kind of elite feminist activists. Uh, which is kind of her big break at first. And she it opens up all sorts of doors for her and creates all sorts of opportunities. 
And Yaz, her mate, isn't so sure, uh, but Aisha's determined to impress them. And they both get invited to uh, one of the other women's Hindus, but she doesn't call it a Hindu. It's called a goddess retreat, and it's in a mansion in the middle of nowhere. And when they arrive, it starts to get strange. But as the night goes on, it gets weirder and weirder until they're basically running for their lives. Yeah, it is a book where you I had no idea where this was going to go. And you I think I had some grasp on where this is maybe going and then something else would happen. And it was so out there, which I love. I love not knowing what's going to come next. Where did this idea come from? Because it is, it is bonkers by the end. Where did this idea come from? It's totally bonkers welcome to the inside of my head um so, so it started off well five years ago pretty much to the month I went to have uh, a meeting with my agents at the time about a completely different project because I didn't write books I wrote plays to start with and and um scripts for audio etc and so I went to meet them to talk about that and one of them happened to ask how my weekend had been and I said to them, well, it was a bit strange. Uh, I went to this Hindu in the middle of nowhere in a mansion, except we weren't allowed to call it a Hindu. It was a goddess retreat. And there were some strange rituals and strange characters there, and it got weirder and weirder. And as I started explaining the details to them, they were like, this is gold. We love it. You have to write a book based on this. And I was like, well, I don't write books. And they were like, minor detail. Don't worry about that. Let's get you writing. Exaggerate <laughs> it. Turn it into a thriller. Make sure someone dies and we can sell this so um that's where I started and then there was a lot of trial and error because I was kind of learning as I went along yeah. so I remember handing me handing in my first draft to my agent at the time for her to look at and she was like Nina this is 40,000 words and I was like I know right amazing <laughs> that's about half a book if that and I was like yeah. what there's nothing left to say there's no more words and she was like well it kind of reads like a script you haven't you know there's a lot of dialogue and action but you know there's no nuance to it and there's no detail and description yeah. so go back see if you can expand it so I had a lot of support uh, and I also did a lot of research um, which was basically just talking to people about their horror experiences of Hendy's and and you know who knew that there were so many so it all went in the book basically and it turned into the monster that it is now yeah my favorite bit is the opener when Poirier she's driving along and she's got her inflatable willies and she's got okay because I'm always that one I love a bit of tack at a hen <laughs> I'm here for like the willy headbands and the, and I have been to some hens that were the absolute antithesis of that in every way and I love the fact this is based on you going to this goddess <laughs> yeah. obviously yeah. a little less scary than I yeah, okay. no one died that was for sure no <laughs> but yeah. but yeah it was pretty awful I mean looking at the time I just thought I really thought this is it me you know am I just a horrible yeah. cow who can't be happy for anybody else but actually, weirdly, a few days later, a couple of other people got in touch with me who I thought had had a great time and said, oh, I've I've actually booked in some extra therapy to deal with, you know, what had happened there. One of them said that. And the other one also kind of admitted that she'd really been traumatized by it. So it wasn't just me. But um, for some reason, yeah, it was just a very strange, bizarre experience. And needless to say, I didn't go to the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> you you done it. You done your goddess retreat. 
Yeah. And where did Aisha and Yaz come from? And what drew you to set them in the comedy world? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Um, So I haven't had much experience at all as a stand-up comedian. I think I tried it once and, and wasn't great at it. But I did um, write and perform a lot of character comedy and comedy sketches. I I kind of was part of the circuit slightly for a bit when I was kind of preparing for Edinburgh Festival and that kind of thing. Um, And I was really um, blown away by the calibre of talent that I saw there. Um, But also just aware of what a male-dominated environment it was. And when I did come across other women of colour, you know, there was a real sense of solidarity and um, kinship there. Um, And I know that speaking to people in that world, there's just so much to be said. And I think I only really scratched the surface. Um, But I just felt like, um, well, to be honest, it wasn't even planned. You know, it's just a world that I felt hadn't really been kind of explored that much and that comedy I think is such a high form of art and it's so tricky to do well and so few people can do it well and I don't think it gets the respect that it deserves you know when you think of even you know things like the Oscars and what have you it's always very kind of harrowing serious things that win Oscars and I think well anyone can do that crap you know what about making people laugh you know like that's really hard like why aren't we giving people accolades for that so I just wanted to kind of show that there was this person with this incredible gift that was being um, or that that ends up being kind of co-opted and exploited um, perhaps partly because it's not valued enough. Yeah and what I love about yeah, stand-up comedy as well I think it's one of the hardest things is you have to be able to react you have to you know when you're doing a play I think being on stage is incredible when you're doing a scripted play that's one thing but when you're doing comedy and you've got hecklers because people still do that of course you know you've got to be able to think fast and still be funny which I think and you know I know on TikTok at the moment there's so many amazing female comedians that are like blowing up but they've always been there right female comedians have always been a thing it's only now we seem to be seeing them absolutely oh you're so right Danny the talent's always been there women are funny um but you know we know phrases like the old boys club and things like that you know and 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 I think um I just think you know what I tried to slightly kind of explore in the book is that you know getting up on stage as a woman and then as a woman of color you're already kind of at the bottom of the funny rung you know people are expecting you not to be funny so you have to win people over first in order to be allowed to do your job kind of thing and I think that's changing and and you know it's great that you picked up on this sense of you know that the absolute amazing skill of having to you know turn on a sixpence think on your feet and you know react and respond to a heckler and and throw away the material that you probably honed and practiced for months and months and months in order to just respond there and and one of the things I absolutely love going to see and that we have um so much of here that is brilliant is improvisation and some of the best improvisers in the country are women and um, it blows me away. I mean, there's nothing that floors me more than the genius of those in- improvisers. Um, and again, you know, it's just not celebrated and respected enough. And that's completely true, completely true. And obviously this book is also set around the time of the Me Too movement, 
which was a huge and I think in some ways kind of got swallowed by COVID kind of got lost in that uh, was it ever kind of daunting that you were going to approach a novel that was going to tackle because it tackles the positives and the negatives of that time was that ever daunting to you that's a good question I think I think I'm the kind of person that jumps in with both feet and then feels the fear of it much later on because remember this is my first book I didn't think anyone was going to read it you know like <laughs> I didn't think it would be out there in the world. So I just was used to writing whatever I fancied writing about and, you know, assuming that it would never leave my bedroom. (laughs) So daunting isn't the word. I think, um, what did I feel? I felt that there was so much that needed to be said and explored. And um, I guess with any movement, um, some perspective is required and we still I don't think have loads of it you know because we're still in the midst of it to to it to a certain degree but I'm I felt that I personally had enough perspective on that time in terms of my experience of it and my witnessing of you know how it unfolded to go okay I have some notes (laughs) um and and of course there was just so much that was incredibly positive um and it wasn't perfect and you know I think now we're at a stage where we're ready to talk about things like privilege and race and class and who gets um to benefit from these movements first and who maybe you know benefits a bit later and to a lesser degree and who still is struggling in different ways who gets to tell their story who gets justice etc and all of that as we know you know is is affected by the way we look and our backgrounds and you know our socioeconomic situation mm-hmm. yeah etc and and I just wanted to to touch on that really and it does completely explore that I think you know it's also the the personal part but you know my experience throughout the meeting movement is very different to your experience very different to my best friend's experience everyone's view and and also what I love in this book is how each of the women in this collective how they view their own experiences personally compared to how people outside are viewing them and you've written some very complex women in these pages who was the most fun to explore when you were writing oh that's a great question well I always love the baddies (laughs) (laughs) and I used to be an actress and I remember always you know I remember once I did panto and they gave me the role of the princess and I was like oh bloody hell I don't have any jokes I just kind of sing and look pretty and snog people and I what no and I kept trying to shoehorn a gag in or two and they're like no no Nina you're the straight one um and so I think yeah people like Clemmy and India really were my favorite just because you know, it, it was hard, I guess, to get a balance between not making them kind of too archetypal, too stereotypical. Um, you know, I really wanted some depth and nuance to them. However, a lot of the phrases that I most enjoyed writing were things that I actually heard in real life anyway. Wow. And just couldn't believe that, you know, I someone had uttered them and I was like, this is going in. And of course, it's the kind of thing where people will be like, no, you know, when where life is a bit stranger than fiction. Yeah. There were so many ridiculous phrases used, you know, across across a long period of time, not just that evening yeah. and what have you. And I was like, well, that's gold. That's going straight in. Yeah. It was the outfits for me as well. 
I think each time they'd get changed and it got like progressively worse as the night goes on. But also then you see their perspective and how they're kind of counter arguing with we're celebrating and we're because that's that's the really divisive thing is, you know, how people feel about that is yeah. so interesting. And there were points, you know, Aisha and Yaz, it wasn't their culture. It wasn't their heritage that they're kind of fighting for. It's so complicated, isn't it? But it just my every time they got changed, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> every time. Would you must have had so much fun with that. I had so much fun, Danny. I really did. That for me was just when I kind of allowed my creativity to take yeah. take off, really, um, and take over. Like that, yeah, that. I just allowed myself to get a bit eccentric and silly with that. Um, but I, again, you know, I think it is so important to then justify that by showing what the thought process is on the other side you know in terms yeah. of seeing it and also you know to throw in things like the fact that you know when Aisha and Yaz have a falling out which I don't think spoils anything um you know Aisha accuses Yaz of exploiting her grandma and the her Indian accent you know for laughs and stuff so is that okay I don't know but you know I just wanted to throw some uncomfortable questions out there and just see what people thought and that is the thing because I think that's exactly what this book does and it is very funny it's very you know it's got dark humor but you are tackling things that make people stop and think from all angles. And you know how I react to like that moment where Aisha says that, you know, you're making fun of your grandma's accent. One person will read and say, well, that's her grandmother. That's within her right. That's her culture. That's and another person might read and be like, no, she's completely right. Which is so interesting how we can all have completely different views. Yeah, exactly. I, I think one of the things that I really, really hope is that it at least um kind of just um starts up some discussions, whatever they may yeah. be. And you do tackle, you know, there are dark themes in this as well that you have to explore and go into. Did you feel kind of when you were writing that, was there an awareness of kind of a sense of responsibility? Were you ever unsure of how to kind of balance this dark humour with these quite difficult themes as well? Because they cross over naturally throughout. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm constantly worried about misrepresenting people and situations that are so deeply sensitive and are, are really traumatic to certain people. And yeah. um, I tried to reach out as much as I could while I was writing it to just make sure that I was speaking to people with lived experience. That for me was the most important. And of course, you know, what happens is then people have all sorts of different kind of um, experiences within that one kind of, you know, issue. Um, and also different opinions on what should and shouldn't be represented and what have you. So I really, really try to listen and to get a balance and to, and more than anything, represent um, situations and people and experiences and trauma as accurately as I could and in in as helpful a way as I could. Um, I really try to kind of um, tell human stories um, within a very particular context and, and yeah. to kind of colour it with humour, which I think is such an important part of life. Um, often some of the darkest and best humour comes in, in the worst situations, but to never, um, never be blasé um, or dismissive of something that, you know, is deeply traumatic. 
Yeah, and I do think the balance here, and I, like you say, I think without the humour in this book, it could be a really, really dark book. We're talking like horror levels of dark. And I do think that it's that humour that comes through. And I loved the way like female friendships are represented because I think female friendships in particular are so complicated. I think they can be more heartbreaking sometimes than a relationship, than even with your parents, because you choose your friends, you bring them into your life. And when things go wrong or you have misunderstandings, it can be so painful. And I loved the way these women kind of weave in and out and their opinions of each other change. You know, I felt so strongly that Aisha desperate for people just to take her on board and for her to be able to live up to these women. And yeah. I think that was that was the beautiful part for me is how female friendships were shown because they are so complex. Thank you, Danny. Thank you so much. I mean, a hundred percent. Certainly, in my experience, it's been a roller coaster. And I, I love what you said about just being heartbroken when you, when you argue with a friend or, or break up with a friend. Because if you break up with a partner, obviously, there's all sorts of people there to kind of um... you go to your friends. Yeah, you turn to your friends, and often you can't do that exactly there you go because that that's your support network right and you you can tell them anything and they're your peers you know so it's not the same as family etc so when you lose one you know where do you go and what do you do with that grief and that heartbreak because from a societal point of view there's no um guidelines is there there's no you know if you if you break up with a partner you know you know the things to do and everyone knows the things to say to help you and what have you you know but when you break up with a friend it's it's much more complex and I agree with you heartbreaking you know because they straddle that kind of um middle ground between filling in a lot of the the kind of the role of of a partner apart from maybe you know sex and stuff and snogging um and also familial um and and a confidant and you know sometimes even almost like an extension of yourself so losing that is is really really tough um or or even when there's a you know when when it just becomes problematic you know and I think with Aisha I kind of tried to explore a lot around issues like codependence and where that might come from and what it means to somebody to want so hard to belong and to be liked and to please and um and how far they would go you know for that and and why someone else like Yaz wouldn't have that same need um and what that would do in terms of putting strain on a on a friendship when other elements and other people were then kind of included um so that for me and also you know that's why I tried not to really have many male characters at all because um I I wanted to although there is a couple in the in in the story um I wanted to kind of veer away from that as much as possible really to look at you know um the dynamics in friendships instead and how do you now follow up a book like this because you said that you're writing how do you now go on because I think as well book two as you say you never thought anyone was going to read a book you'd written but now you've got to, you know, people are going to know your name, they'll know your book. So how do you now follow up with that kind of that secondary book? 
Oh, I wish I knew. What <laughs> <laughs> mess right now, Danny? Don't tell my publishers. Um, I mean, basically, it is a very different, you know. And and remember, I'm coming into this as such a newbie. I know nothing about the industry. I know nothing about the process. I was literally just doing courses as I wrote it. You know, like how to write thrillers. You know, just so I knew what I was doing yeah. before I got to the end. You know. And so it took five years. I was working full time, you know, through that. There was a lot of trial and error. As I said, I got loads of support. I enjoyed the process because I love learning and I don't mind making mistakes. And I'm certainly used to feedback and, and notes. So all of that I, I relished. This is very interesting, this next project, because it, that there are similar themes and issues and and kind of a similar genre in some ways which I can tell you about kind of in a bit but um the writing process is very different because there's a deadline already um I certainly do not have five years to write <laughs> um uh, you'd think I would have learned something by now that would have kind of helped the process and I'm sure I have but I I still very much feel like I'm finding my way in terms of my writing style you know my yeah. writing journey and I'm not a planner um I what I think I do is that I have an idea and it and it gestates and gestates and gestates and and you know colors in in my my head until it's kind of ready to kind of be out there in the world and then I I'm very lucky that I try and figure out what medium and what genre it would best fit you know because I have written for theater for audio now moving into tv and books and I love you know I'm so incredibly grateful that I get to explore all of those genres and mediums um, but I'm very much still learning um, how to kind of master them um, so then something takes over the characters take over I have a sense of where I want them to go I have a sense of what I want to say um, and then I just write and write and write and write and write and so that's what's happening right now. This one is, I've got the opposite problem. It's already 120 something thousand words. Wow. So I thought I'd be done like two months ago when I had 80,000 words and actually no, there's still more to, to write. So I'm definitely going to edit quite harshly, <laughs> um, but I have to kind of get to the end. And get then the words out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly so I guess the things that are similar is that it's definitely about female friendship um it's definitely got a, a range of characters from a mix of backgrounds um they go through all sorts you know of, of trauma and joy sorry that's the traffic outside trauma and joy um and what I'm trying to do is kind of this time depict the absolute joy of female friendship the playfulness the the fun um, hopefully make the reader feel like they're part of the friendship group before I mess it all up um, uh, and there will be a second timeline as well and a kind of a thriller element um, yeah and that's all I can say really because that's all I know <laughs> <laughs> I love that but I was gonna say as well so you've mentioned with TV and I believe that Goddesses has been optioned right it's in in the planning stages is that right right yeah I mean I can see I can see it as I was like reading it I was like I can see this I can see yeah. this on tv yeah great thanks <laughs> it's, it's, it, you can it's so outrageous and I just I would just love to see the costumes that's the main <laughs> thing here I just want to I want to see the costumes and the ridiculous house 
<laughs> I mean, can you imagine the fun we'd have just like, you know, scouting for the location? That would be great. Absolutely um, wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, I mean, this last couple of years has just been bonkers, really. Like, I can't, yeah, it's hard to really explain. Um, but it's been brilliant. And and everyone I'm working with has been so lovely, like so lovely, and have really been looking after me. So um, yeah, we basically I I finished the final draft of Goddesses. When I say final draft, not really the final draft, the, the final draft for my agent who then said now it's yep. legible and we can actually send it out to people. Yep. And then I booked a holiday because I was like, oh, thank God that's over. And thought it takes me months to read a book. So obviously I'm not going to hear anything for ages. And then a, a few days later, she emailed me back going, um, Nina, where are you? And I was like, I'm in Jamaica. And she's like, ah, there's a few people that have read the book and want to meet you. And I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> uh, so we managed to get all the meetings on Zoom. Um, oh God, with you and just standing in Jamaica. Yeah, just hanging out in Jamaica thinking, well, you know, nothing's going to come of this, obviously. Um, and so we we arranged all the meetings on Zoom. And that day, all of the internet on that side of the island went down. And I was like, no. So I was kind of speaking to the locals. I was like, hi, when do you think it's going to be ready? And they were like, oh, don't worry about it. Relax, have a drink, you know, have a rum. We'll let you know when it's ready. I was like, no. So we threw my laptop in a tote bag and just marched along this beach, just going from hotel to hotel, begging for some internet. Nobody had any. And then right at the end of the beach, there was this massive resort. And we went in and they did have internet. And I was like, look, I'll pay for a room. I just need a room for a few hours. And they were like, oh, yeah, a few hours. And I was like, no, 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 this is for business. And they were like, yeah, yeah, OK, yeah. And so they didn't let me rent a room. <laughs> Um, but they did let me sit in the lobby and use the free internet there. So I had like some of the most important meetings of my career in the lobby of this hotel. And it was Thanksgiving. So there were all these very enthusiastic Americans kind of checking in and checking out. And my partner just had to keep begging them to be just less enthusiastic, really, while I got through the meetings. Um, but basically, after all of that, eventually we we signed a two big deal with Simon and Schuster and it got optioned by the amazing Rough Cut. And the reason we went with Rough Cut in the end, I mean, first of all, their their kind of reputation, you know, speaks for itself. And I was so starstruck when I was in the meeting with them. I couldn't believe it. But they had created this amazing deck with their vision for goddesses and as you said they'd really gone in on the detail of the costume the characters and the location and so it really brought it to life and I was like yes I can see it <laughs> it's great where do I sign yeah oh amazing well congratulations it's all so well deserved I love that story <laughs> so much I think that's fantastic and now look I'm now thinking you have lots of places to draw on here for your novel evening. You know, you're obviously a very big fan. You've got theatre, you've got comedy, you've got literature. We've got everything going on here. So I think we should kick things off by finding out where you're going to go. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I had so much fun preparing for this. Um, but uh, I think in the end, there was only really one choice in terms of location, and that is Cyprus. 
because that is where half of my family is from. So I'm sure most people know where it is, but it's kind of right at the end of the Mediterranean, kind of as east as you can go before you get to literally the Middle East. Um, and uh, I spent all my summers there with lots and lots of, you know, cousins and aunties. And and I also lived there for a while and I lived with my grandparents, my Yayam Bapu, and I went to school there. And it was some of the most happiest years of my life. Um, and it's a really magical place because it kind of straddles three continents. So you've got Europe to the west and to the north, and then you've got the Middle East, and then below it, you've got um, North Africa. And mm -hmm. so it's a very unique place. And you can see all of those three influences in the faces of the people, in the language, in the food, in the music, in the culture. Um, so yes, that's where we're going to go. Oh, I love uh, it. It's, it's really funny. We went to Greece on holiday just just back in May. And when we asked our son afterwards, you know, where would you like to go next? And he's only four. So I don't. And he said, I want to go to Cyprus. Oh, that's it. I don't even know how he knows where it is or the name of it. But I was like, yeah, you know what? I'd like to do that, too. That's a good choice. Let's do that. <laughs> Clearly a legend. What a legend. So I'm, I'm down for Cyprus. <laughs> Although it has just had the hottest summer on record, but everywhere has really. Yeah. Um, so actually to that point, I think what I'll do is make sure that we're there at 6 p.m., the golden hour, somewhere mm. on the coast as the sun is setting. And, and I'm hoping that I can just perpetually have it at 6 p.m. for the whole time. Basically. Nice breeze. Nice breeze coming off the ocean. Yeah, that's that sounds ideal. Because I don't fare well in heat. <laughs> no, no, I don't think anyone does. Not not the way it gets in Cyprus in all. Oh, and the videos that I saw. Did you see the video of the guy with the flip flops walking on the Cyprus? And his flip flops were melting on the Cyprus streets as he was walking. His flip flop was lifting up. All this rubber was coming off his flip flop as he was walking along. I thought that's probably too hot for me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't go this year, and um, I'm not sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. But this this sounds 6 p.m. golden hour. I think, you know, this anything can be done in a novel evening. So we can keep it perpetually at golden hour. That sounds although I do want to see stars out there because that's that sounds magical. Yeah, you know what, Danny? Yeah, all right. I tell you what, we're gonna turn this into a sleepover. We're all gonna lie uh on um sunbeds, uh looking up at the stars at the end of the night because it used to get too hot in my grandparents' house and I used to put my bed on the balcony and I'd see like three or four shooting stars every oh, night. So we're all gonna do that to finish the evening off. How about that? That's perfect. That you've you've sold it now. Okay, so now you just gotta get the guests on point and on that. Yeah. Yeah, well, starting off, I'm going to um, resurrect my Yayan Bapu, who are no longer with us, um, because, yeah, they're just some of the most important people in my life um, and obviously amazing cooks as well. So they're going to do all the food, um, uh, but we're going to do it because, you know, this is magic. Um, we're going to make sure that they don't get tired while they do all the cooking so that they can enjoy the party as well. So they're, they're the best people I'm populating this party with. What was your favourite dish that they used to make? Well, Bapu, my granddad, he would make the souvla every Sunday, which is the big kind of, um, well, I guess you'd call it a kebab, you know, with lots of skewers of meat and what have you. And my grandma would, my yaya would prepare everything else that comes with it. And then the whole family would gather. So yeah, we would, we would wait for the Sundays, basically for the souvla. 
Oh, delicious. That sounds so good. I'm so, I'm sold. Okay. So they've arrived. They're going to be preparing. Who's next? So I would like to start by inviting Isabel Allende, the Chilean uh, writer whose most famous um, piece of writing or novel was The House of the Spirits. Yeah. Um, I love her. And I read that book when I was probably a teenager and it blew my mind. I don't think I'd ever read any magical realism before. And I was like, what? This is amazing. And for me, it had everything because it was still very clearly, you know, located and steeped in the real world with you know in a political context but it was full of magic you know she just kind of populated the world with magic and and I was like oh you're allowed to do that that's great um, right beautifully as well it's um, stunning yeah she really does doesn't she and I've heard her interviewed quite a few times and she's such a vivacious witty warm woman I think she's in her 80s now she just lives in this really simple house with her lover and all her money apparently just goes to like helping other women in need who are refugees or on the run or what have you so I'm just like yeah she's definitely in hello oh amazing first choice okay who's going to arrive next number two then is uh Dr Maya Angelou um, oh yeah, I've got a feeling her and Isabella Allende would get really get on really well. I don't know why. Um, but just again, another, I mean, where do you start with her? You know, she's a poet of the highest order, she's a writer of the highest order, you know, she's so full of wisdom and warmth and love and you know, eloquence and but she she was also a dancer and a singer, you know. So I've just got a feeling that she would also know how to not only have beautiful conversations, but also bring the party. <laughs> oh, I love this. Okay. Oh, this is a gorgeous night. Okay. I'm picturing this so clearly as well. Okay, amazing. Who's gonna be next? So joining uh, Isabella Allende and Dr. Maya Angelou will be James Baldwin as well. Okay, you're the uh, second person to have Baldwin joining us. Oh, really? How wonderful. Yeah. That really makes me happy because I think he is exceptional. I really do. And I know that him and Dr. Maya Angelou were really good friends. So so you've already got, you know, vibes there. Um, but I just, I think every one of his books is a masterpiece. I think his turn of phrase and his use of language is just remarkable but also his perspective on America, I think, you know, and race is just, there's no one that puts it the way that he does. Um, and, you know, and yet I genuinely think that he would just be lots of fun to be around and be witty and, and vivacious as well. And yeah, yeah, I've just got a feeling he'd just be wonderful company. Oh, this is a night of conversation. I can feel this. This is be a lot of laughter. Do you have anyone else coming? I do. I've got a few more. So um, very quickly, I'm going to mention two more writers who are Zadie Smith and Ursula K. Le Guin. Zadie Smith, because no one writes London the way that she does. And I'm a Londoner born and bred. Um, and when I read White Teeth, it blew my mind. I was like, yes, that's me. That's my life. That's the people I know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Ursula K. Le Guin, just because she's such a trailblazer, but I only discovered her like a couple of years ago wow. and I devoured her books and I was like, everybody's got to read this woman. And everyone I spoke to was like, oh yeah, yeah, she's been around for ages. And I was like, what? 
she was in a very male dominated genre as well that was you know as you said like a real trailblazer yeah 100 percent. but also just took the genre to whole new levels you know like just just amazing so those are all my authors um I thought I'd invite some characters from some books to it um so I'd like to invite Circe from Circe oh yeah and Maggie O'Farrell's Anne Hathaway from Hamnet and the reason I was strong (laughs) witches of the highest order right and um I think they would be great in terms of just casting spells and first of all keeping us safe but second of all adding a little bit of magic to the evening um so yeah Circe and Anne Hathaway are coming um Obviously, I want to make sure that I invite Aisha and Yaz just because they hold such a special place in my heart. But they'd also bring the fun, right? When the two of them are together, you know, they they know how to party. So they're definitely coming. And then finally, just a smattering of musicians because music for me is incredibly important. I come from a musical family um, and uh, there's a lot of music kind of um, in the book as well. Um, So I would uh, invite Nina Simone uh to sing for us and to play for us um because I oh, think I'm she's... just taking the moment to just picture Nina Simone stood there in that golden hour sunshine with the waves in the background just singing I mean yeah, yeah. just inspiring Unreal. and empowering us all I mean she really is so unique in her performance in her in her piano playing first of all I mean she's she's classically trained so she's amazing um but also in her songwriting and her her actual singing I just think is just so raw and just so incredibly powerful but also beautiful and moving um I think she'd terrify the life out of me though there's something about me as well I think she something about her I don't even think I'd be able to speak to her really I I suppose she could be intimidating but I I just love her I just think she's a phenomenal force and um and I want her at my party (laughs) oh my god and have you got some more musicians very very briefly yes so you've caught me I've literally come back from a festival about three days ago so I'm still exhausted but it was one of the best ones I've been to and um you know I could go on curating you know the music for hours you know it's my favorite thing to do but what I'll do is just mention a few performers and musicians who just absolutely blew me away at this festival because they're just fresh in my mind and in my heart so um there's a band from the 90s called Galliano they're like acid jazz and they're making a comeback now so when I was a teenager I used to listen to them and they've just been re-signed um by a record label so they opened the festival and they were absolutely amazing well let me just close my window because something someone's reversing okay there we go so Galliano, uh, and then uh, the amazing Omar, who is a jazz soul singer from London as well. And to finish off, there's an absolutely sublime singer from Australia called Alicia Joy. And it's just quite hard to describe her other than to say a performance of hers is just transcendent. It really is. And I know that she would take the party to a whole other level. So those are my people and that's my party, Danny. You've really curated an event here. I love it. We've got, you know, stand-up comedy. We've got music. 
I love this. This is this is the sort of planning I live for, and I'm picturing it so clearly as well. I want to do this party. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's invite <laughs> some people. Why not? I need it. And look, I'm going to let you go and enjoy the rest of your evening in a moment because it's gotten quite late. I'm sat in the dark. You've got your you've got your lamp on. <laughs> but before I let you go, I have to ask if you're reading anything at the moment. Yes, I am reading two books. Well, I just finished one, which is Fire Rush by Jacqueline Crooks. Uh, and this was uh, shortlisted for the Women's Prize this year. And it's, oh, it's brilliant. It's like nothing I've read before. And um, uh, more than anything, her description of music is, it's it's just amazing. I'd, I've never read anything like it in terms of her style and her description. So I really enjoyed that. And then I always try and have like one fiction and non-fiction going. So the non-fiction is Manifesto on Never Giving Up by Bernadine Evaristo. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, and whatever, I... whatever she writes, fiction or non-fiction is going to be incredible. Exactly, yeah, and it's it's really inspiring. Oh, it sounds so good. And look, thank you so much for coming to talk to me. It's been such a pleasure. And you know, congratulations on the book. And I will await book two. Thank you so much, Danny. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Novel Evening. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Please remember to go over and rate, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and check us out on Instagram at A Novel Evening Podcast and over on TikTok under the same name. And we'll see you next week. Bye bye.